Gonghei Fa Choi and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first 2019 episode of East Screen West Screen. Coming up, we talk about Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle 2, Hong Kong Film Award nominations, and our films this week, New King of Comedy, and I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk again in a very festive year of the pig is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Hi there, everyone. It's been a long time, right? Yes, yes. We've been on hiatus. And again, it all falls back to me just because, uh, you know, life sometimes, uh, you know, grabs you by the hair and pulls you along and then other times it just kicks you in the groin and so that's what it's been doing uh to me of late but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about i did have these you know i don't want to say good fortune but i i was in hong kong last month for reasons uh and i did get a chance to see all of the hong kong released lunar new year films and so that is uh you know somewhat good news to be able to be here at this first show of 2019 to talk with my good friend, Kevin, about uh, all of those films in question. So how has your New Year been, sir? It's been pretty quiet. I mean, I was actually working a lot because I have, I've had a, a, a lot of, um, well, work. So I didn't do much celebrating. I mean, I don't do much celebrating anyway because I live alone. Um, I did see family for dinner. I did my Wan Tai Sin thing every year. Um, got some red packets. So that's about it. Um yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and lots of movies this year to see. And uh... yeah, I watched. I think I watched. Well, there are ten releases this year, right? So you have the five Chinese New Year films. You have Peppa Pig, and then you have um, Alita: Battle Angel, and then you have Mary Poppins. Yeah. Also, How to Train Your Dragon. And am I missing anything? Was that nine or ten? I think. Yeah, I think that that was all the big stuff for sure. And uh, of course, some smaller stuff on the fringes too. I think the. Uh, the Joyce Chang movie is still, at the time we're recording, is not released. I think it's getting released next week. Next week, yeah, um, 21st. Yeah. That's a Malaysian thing. So yeah. I think it got released in Malaysia and Singapore. And then finally hits the screen here next week. Yeah. yeah. But it's been, a, I mean, a bumper year for films and for Lunar New Year style films as well. I think we've got probably more that fall in that category than we had uh, certainly last year. Because last year it was pretty much... Uh, you know the 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 what was it? The beautiful moment was really kind of the only traditionally feely one, and that's yeah. I, that's one I still haven't seen from last year because it's it's there's no video release or digital platform release of that as yet, unfortunately. Um, but because this, it's so bad, they <laughs> want to hide it from the rest of the world. <laughs> yes, indeed. It was so bad. so bad, and and speaking of so bad, I finally picked up uh, Ellis for Love, Ellis for Lies two uh, on video. 
uh, after long, long last. But I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. But um, yeah, we. I, I mean, I was very pleased with this, this year's offerings, and especially because quite a few of those, again, fall within sort of that more traditional, touchy-feely kind of Lunar New Year vibe. Um, so we're here to talk about, I think, two of our favorites in depth um, for this year, and we're going to touch on some of the others as well in our 2019 Lunar New Year special. Uh, and so we got a full show, but before we get into that, a little bit of news uh, to start us off. So let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin with this week's news. All right, here at the news desk, um, I know a lot of people uh, are reading into this a bit too much, but apparently Stephen Chow... Can we just say that the internet seems to have lost its mind over this news? Is that fair to well, say? Well, they always lose. <laughs> not the media always loses its mind because right now we're living in a, kick, a hit rate world. And to get clicks, we take every little bit of um, things that filmmakers say when they're at a Q&A or something and then turn it into news. That is the nature of film journalism today, at least the blogging, the blogging journalism. Well, actually, even the trades are starting to kind of now do it. They turn every little bit of thing that, you know, the, to me... Every time, everything that a filmmaker says at a Q and A, and just says, "Oh, I'm thinking about doing it," or "Yeah, we're working on it." To me, it's not official news, because I could be hell. I could be working on a sequel to Kung Fu Hustle Two, and then it could be news. But you know what? I'm not gonna be making Kung Fu Hustle Two. Let's face it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So the news is that yeah, Stephen Chow apparently he attended, um. A Q&A session for King of Comedy in Guangzhou, which is a rarity of itself because we know that Stephen Chow doesn't appear for these things. But yet he did, and he did it only in China. He did it only in Guangzhou, which is news to Hong Kong people because it shows how, dis- how much disdain or how little interest he has in the Hong Kong market that he wouldn't even show up for anything like that in his hometown, even though the film is also struggling here at the box office. Yeah, let's face it. Yeah, King, uh, King of Comedy Two is a uh, new King of Comedy is also struggling in the Chinese box office, and this feels like a coordinated move to try and push it, you know, for publicity points. But the thing is, come on, man. He only sends his uh, two actors, the one who plays the the lead and the girl and uh, the boyfriend, to, to Hong Kong to do the greeting session, while he doesn't do any of it himself here. And yet he goes up to Guangzhou and and talks to a bunch of people and talks about uh, uh, why he doesn't act anymore and Kung Fu Hustle Two and things like that. But anyway, okay, that's besides the point. Anyway, at one of those Q and A's, he he says something about that he's working on a plot, a story for Kung Fu Hustle Two, which um. I assume it means he's torturing his writers and having them sit in the room 14 hours every day trying to figure out um, scenes and plots and whatever. And yeah, I mean, that's is that news? I mean, it's been rumored for years that he's working on Kung Fu Hustle 2. Here, yeah, he just says he's working on Kung Fu Hustle 2. Is that really news to me? No, because he could be working on it and then he could be writing it and then it might not work out. Just like how King of Comedy was, um, the new King of Comedy was actually uh, shelved in 2005 before he picked it up again um, this year. So, yeah, just because he says he's working on it doesn't mean anything. It means it might mean that he might give it up or it means that. Um, because we all know that the next film that he's making is Mermaid 2, which is right now being in post-production as we speak. It's still stuck in special effects, um, rendering or whatever they do. Um, and it's coming out this summer. So it's not like we're lacking Stephen Chow movies. Um, 
so yeah um i i'm not calling it fake news or anything but guys just calm down i mean calm down seriously so the 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 mermaid 2 is uh summer 2019 release yeah yeah so in fact the entire reason why he did new king of comedy is because mermaid 2 wasn't done yet Uh, the special effects took longer than expected and then steven chab wanted a lunar new year release so he quickly put together a new king of comedy Interesting news, we're going to get two Stephen Chow films in a single year. Yeah, that, that's pretty big news, but of course everyone is still losing their minds over this, this this Kung Fu Hustle 2 thing. Like I said, I think the bigger news is, look at Stephen Chow doing Q&As in China. <laughs> it's, there's, like, there's like Terrence Malick um, uh, doing a, a Q&A for his film and like doing like a nationwide tour Q&A for his film because we all know Terrence Mack never shows up in public. Mm. Um, and he's done more in recent years, but the thing is he's like, he's like renowned for being reclusive and so is Stephen Chow. But yet, you know, there it is. Um, so I'm more hurt by that news than anything else. All right. Well, we'll have more Stephen Chow to talk about uh, once we get closer to the release of... Uh... The Mermaid 2, and hopefully some trailers will drop in the not-too-distant future. Uh, our next bit of news, uh, moving on quickly, of course, we'd be remiss without talking about Hong Kong Film Award nominations. Um, although, if memory serves, they released, uh, you know, because they do their nominations, and then they release, like, a recommended films list, I think. And I think of the things they recommended, like, one saw general release, right? <laughs> It's well, like no, a that, really the, short uh, short list. If I'm, or am I confusing that? Yeah, you. Yeah, that's the uh, Hong Kong Film Critics. Oh, that's Society. The, yeah. I'm sorry, that's the Critics Society list. You're correct. We I could do. talk a little bit about that. Yes, we could. Um, because that one announced, I think, early January, mid January. Yeah. Um, and they were talking about the choices. But anyway, only two films won five awards because the whole thing only has five awards. Um, I think, uh, Three Husbands, the new Fu Chan film, won two awards. Um, I think best director and best film. I'm working from memory here because I don't have time to look up the. <laughs> and then, and then, um, new film called Still, Still Human, um, which is a directorial debut, which I'll go into a little bit. But that won best screenplay and best actor for Anthony Wong. And uh, so, so Free Husbands won. Oh, Free Husbands won three awards then because it won best director, best film, and best actress, um, which. Is somewhat deserved, I think. But and then um, it's kind of sad this year because usually Hong Kong Film Critics Society has um, ten recommended films, but this year it found so little films to recommend that it only recommended five. Because um, I think the way it works is that they first throw out the number of films they because Best Picture is the first film they consider. So all the candidates that they discuss end up on that recommended films list, and apparently only five films um, appeared on that during that discussion um and yes both films haven't been general release uh three husbands um had a lot of early preview screenings aimed at award voters of course they were public screenings which means you could buy tickets to them but um they were generally mainly aimed at um film critics and hong kong film award voters trying to drum up support and trying to drum up some nominations before the theatrical release same for Stu human which um, is a directorial debut of a young director named Cheng Xiu Gun. Um, and Golden Scene is also drumming up. The film doesn't come out until April, but it's already been trying to uh, get into film festivals. They're doing this whole uh, Mad World um, uh, approach where they try to get it premiering at film festivals um, and early preview screenings for award voters before um, 
and trying to get a lot of um, award nominations before they open in April. And of course, it, this all worked because um, last week, the Hong Kong Film Awards uh, announced their nominations. And um, I'll just go down the list real quick. Thank goodness this year, um, the HKFAA, the HKFA, yeah, HKFAA, I don't know. I don't know if there's two A's. Why are there two A's? Anyway, the website's two A's. So um, they put down a list and a, and a roundup of how many nominations each film got. So that is helping a ton. Um, Project Gutenberg, uh, directed by Felix Chong, got 17 nominations, which is um, only the second highest on record because uh, I think Bodyguards and Assassin got 18 that year. So it didn't quite break tie the record. But... Um, that is a lot of nomination. That's two Best Actor nominations with Charon Fat and Eric Kwok. Um, best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Film, Best um, Best Actress. My God. Zhang Jing Chu, I suppose. Um, and also in the supporting categories, um, all the technical categories. Yeah, so it's huge. Um, and Men on the Dragon, the, the local comedy about the, the middle-aged men doing Dragon Boat. Um, 11 nominations. Uh, two acting nominations in the Best Supporting Male category. That's between uh, Poon Chan Lun and I think Wan Tuk Bun. Uh, and of course, Francis Ng is nominated. Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Film, Best New Actor, Best Supporting Actress, um, and Best New Director. Two music nominations and none of the other technical stuff because, you know, it's a comedy, so no one cares about that kind of stuff. Um, Stu Human, as we, as we talked about, managed to get eight nominations. Um, it repeated the Mad World feat in which it got both Best Director and Best New Director um, nominations. Uh, and, of course, Anthony Wong is nominated in Best Actor. And um, the lead, Crystal Sinji, um, who's uh, from the Philippines, I believe, also got double nominations for uh, Best Actress and Best New Actor. Um, so more films that haven't opened in general release. There's a film called G Affairs. It's also another first film initiative film, just like um, Still Human. Uh, that movie directed by Lee Trip Pan. Um, and again, also a lot of preview screenings. Uh, and just like Still Human, it, it actually had its premiere at the Golden Horse Film Festival in Taiwan in November. And that's where I saw the film. Um, I saw both Still Human and G Affairs there, which I, I don't you find ironic that I have to find out to watch these new Hong Kong films overseas. Um, in fact, I also saw Three Husbands in Golden Horse. Um, but anyway, G Affairs, uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of edgy, uh, very dark, kind of a drama, mystery, murder mystery type of thing. Um, it has six nominations. Um, but mostly in the new actor in technical stuff uh, and new director, but nothing in the major categories. Um, Free Husbands um, got two, three major nominations, which is Best uh, Film, Best Director, Best Actress for Chloe Mayang, um, and Best New Actor. Uh, so only four nominations for what the Hong Kong film critics consider to be the best film. Bit of odd, bit odd, but the the Hong Kong film awards do tend to like um, like Fruit Chan, so it does have a, a good chance of winning. But they also like big commercial films, so Project Gutenberg um, is likely to pick up um, a lot of the technical awards and possibly one of the major awards. Um, but yeah, that's that about sums it up. I mean, you got a lot of individual films that picked up uh, individual um uh, nominations you know like um master z master z sorry american speak podcast uh <laughs> got a best action uh uh nomination of course uh charlene Cho, uh 
got got a Charlene Choi got a Best Actress nomination for the Lady Improper. Um, what else am I talking here? Uh, of course, the, we got the Best um, Film from the Two Coasts. Is that what they call it now? Best Film from China and Taiwan. That's the category. Um, but actually, this year, all five nominees are from China. Um, you got Dying to Survive, Hidden Man, Ashes Pierce White, um, Angels Wear White, and Last Letter. So those are the five uh, films nominated for that award. Uh, so no Taiwan films this year. Um, Paul, anything that that? Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of people won't be able to see these nominees until really close, either coming up um, ahead of the awards or after the awards. In the case of Still Human, so unfortunately, people may not be able to make really informed decisions about this, but the voters will because they they you know there's been so many opportunities for them to see the film. Um, but Paul, what what do you gather from this? Have you have you seen a lot of the nominees this year? Oh, I've seen uh, Project Gutenberg, and I've seen Men on the Dragon. But you know, again, the the stuff that they do the sneaky releases on, you know, that who knows when I'll get a chance to see that. I, when I was in Hong Kong, I did see uh, they were doing some special screenings for Three Husbands, along with um, the other two films and Fruit Chan's what they call the Prostitute trilogy now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those were, you know, those were. Uh, I think happening like at the end of this month or the beginning of next month. So there was, you know, just wasn't going to be around for those. And I, I'm surprised at, uh, you know, just, I don't know. It just seems like you know, there, I mean, there were 40 plus so films last year, depending on, you know, which list you go by. And some of the stuff that ends up falling off because of this, of these technical early releases, which really, they just irritate me, um, you know, because you get stuff like, I'm thinking, I think, uh, uh, Somewhere Beyond the Mist, and I think Tomorrow's Another Day also fell into this, where they, they were part of this year's batch for general release, but I think they fell into last year's batch for awards because of the same thing, right? Um, yeah, you know, that's a new strategy, you know, since um, Mad World really succeeded um, with their strategy, which was premiering in Toronto and then winning at Golden Horse and then um, winning in Osaka and then, of course, getting multiple nominations at the Hong Kong Film Awards and then ended up making a lot of money in Hong Kong because of that critical support. So, unfortunately, that's how that's going to that's what's going to happen, I think, um, for now, because without... If you see, look at Tracy, which didn't do this strategy, which went to Tokyo and then came right back and then was released in November. The film did okay, didn't do too bad, considering that it's an LGBT film in Hong Kong. It did five million box office, but you know, it's of course it's not considered a financial success. So, so a lot of producers of these smaller films that don't have stars, these local films, you know, Hong Kong uh, targeted films, or what we call pure local productions. Um, they have to use um, um, the critics and the awards as their uh, platform, as their promotional platform, unfortunately. And this is the best way to do it. Um, and that's what they tried to do last year with In Your Dreams and beyond, um, Somewhere Beyond the Mist. But of course, neither th- those didn't work. Um, they didn't even get that many nominations and they quickly flopped at the box office. Um, but this year, it seems to be working. I think Still Human is going to perform very well by the time April comes along. I think it's going to win a couple of those awards. There are a lot of strong critical support, especially in a very weak year. 
uh, for Hong Kong films. So, um, unfortunately, if Still Human succeeds at a box office, because let's face it, Three Husbands and G Affairs are not really mass entertainment, multiplex material. Uh, I don't think they're going to be doing particularly well at the Hong Kong box office, but Still Human is going to break out, I think. And if it does, a lot of these companies are going to keep using this strategy for the years to come. All right. Well, some stuff to look forward to, to be sure. And I uh, hope to have a chance to come back and talk about some of it uh, when we get a chance to see it. Um, just a, a few brief news nuggets, not to get anything too deep into, but some news stories that are floating around out there. Of course, the uh, pulling of the film from the, what is it, the Berlin Film Festival? The Berlin Film Festival, yeah. yeah. The Zhang Yimou film there, and the Derek Sun film. There, there's been a lot kind of written about that already out there just do you have any brief thoughts on that um i'll just i'm, I'm glad that people finally look past the word technical reasons perhaps um because yeah a lot as i wrote in my report on asia and cinema yes i updated this week hey um is that yeah the words technical reasons are often used in china as sort of a euphemism or like code word for let's face it we didn't pass censorship. we didn't get censorship in time or we didn't pass censorship in time um or um uh, i'm not saying this officially of course because no one can un unless you work in the film bureau and no one in the film bureau is coming on this show to confirm that um but yeah i mean that happens i mean where if Every film that gets pulled from a China a international film festival or a premiere is due to technical reasons. Then China's post production industry has a huge problem, a huge problem. Because if you guys can't get your SHIT together before a premiere and then screw up during post production, you know why are you the second biggest film industry in the world? So unless that is the case, then um, you know. It, it, it's clearly a code word for something else. Mm -hmm. And if that is also the case, then I think that European film festivals are going to be very, very careful, especially Cannes, Venice, um, and the other major A-list film festivals out there um, are going to be super, super careful when they program a Chinese film. I know um, a friend who programs for one of these film festivals, um, their film festival, I'm not, it's not one of the three European ones, by the way. It's already very, very cautious these couple of years in terms of uh, securing um, censorship approvals when they program Chinese films. So um, I think the European film festivals are going to be very, very careful now. Even when they choose films that are done by big name hotels, they're going to be um, probably very strict on the producers to make sure they get all the censorship approvals before they they, they they play in the in the festival and um i think they you will see a decrease in chinese films being picked at these film festivals because of these restrictions all right interesting something to keep abreast of uh the last little news nugget that uh, i just wanted to mention because kevin had posted about this um on his facebook and i think on his uh his website as well um, and one of the directors we're going to be talking about in a little bit later today in the show, uh, Pang Ho Chung, has been tapped to do Deer in the Cauldron, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did the the press release actually for the sales company, um, but it's been it was rumored for a long time. It was talked about for a long time that Pang Ho Chung was working on something like this. He's adapting, by the way. Um, Deer in the Cauldron is the Louis Cha novel, or Gum Yong, as or Jin Rong, as we call him in in Chinese. Um, 
this this super I think it's one of it's probably his most popular novel. It's been adapted into Royal Tramp by Wan Jing, of course, Stephen Chow. Um and it has been adapted to multiple T V series, one of which starred was it Tony Leung and, and Andy Lau? Uh, I think Tony Leung and uh, Leung Chiwai, and, and I think Andy Lau was the emperor. Yeah, yeah Andy, Andy Lau was the emperor, and Leung Chiwai was the lead as Wai Siu Bo, and of course, uh, I mean, Huang Xiaoming also played Wai Siu Bo before. So incredibly popular um, IP, or as we you know, as we say, industry speak, it's an IP. Um, but yeah, he, he's going to be doing this epic three-part film adaptation of the book. Um, I don't know how. I don't know. You know, the budget apparently will be huge. Um, I don't know when because apparently it would take another two or three years. But yeah, he's 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 uh, going to be working on that for the next couple of years, which I guess is partly why he did misbehavior this year, because he knows he's going to be away for a couple of years working on this. And um, and this is his sort of um, real quick, a little quickie before he goes away. Right. Do you think I mean, because we've got I think Zoe Hark is working on uh, the Legend of the Condor Heroes. Legend of the Condor Heroes. So, you know, we're going to be in probably getting some good Lewis Cha material in, you know, a, a few years. I'm just, do you think Pang Ho Chung is going to go at this material in a fairly straightforward manner? Or do you think he might, you know, uh, pull a eagle shooting heroes and and spoof it? Or I, I, I'm, I'm not too sure if... if you know. I can tell. I can tell you with some degree of certainty, and I can't tell you how, but I can tell you with a little bit of degree of certainty that it's not going to be a comedy, or it's not going to be done. It's not like a spoof. It's not going to be a spoof because you don't make. Well, first of all, you don't make free um, films budgeted at US eighty million dollars each and do a spoof. So that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, and um, so I don't, but I don't think he's gonna do it in a traditional way either. I don't think it's gonna be a traditional, very like serious um, uh, Lewis Cha adaptation. I think he has some ideas up his sleeves. Um, uh, I can't say any more than that because <laughs> <laughs> I have signed an NDA because I did more than a press release actually. Mm. So, so I've seen a little bit, a very, very small taste of what he has um, in mind. Um, and that's all I can say at the moment. But it's it it it's going. It's not going to be comedic, nor is it just going to be a very stiff. Um, well, yeah, it's not going to be a very stiff or super super um, um, loyal to the text. That's all I can say. Okay. So again, something to look forward to for uh, Lewis Cha fans, right? I'll tell you after we record what I know. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for our news this week. When we come back, we kick off our Lunar New Year films for 2019 with Kevin's review of New King of Comedy. And welcome back. So up first, of course, it is the king, Stephen Chow himself, with his new film, New King of Comedy. That's right. Um, so New King of Comedy, as I was saying earlier, this is the film that Stephen Chow quickly put together 
because he's waiting for the post-production uh, process to complete on Mermaid 2. So he brought in um, Herman Yao to help co-direct and also one of his young screenwriters who actually went to the same film school as me, by the way, uh, to come in and act and to co-direct the film. So this is a film with four directors, actually, even though Stephen Chow is really the, the, the leader of this film. Uh, it's also mainly a cast of unknowns and new actors, except for Wang Bao Chang. What he does, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but the story. Um, Dreamy, played by Ajing Wen, dreams of being a movie star. She has been working hard for years, um, but has not been able to get beyond um, day player gigs. Her father gives her tremendous pressure, and her family tries to convince her to quit. On a movie set one day, Dreamy runs into Marco, played by Wang Bao Chang, a washed-up actor whose low self-esteem has turned him into a manic depressive. One day, Dreamy finally cannot endure the repeated knocks on her dreams and decides to give it up, going home to her parents to find a steady job. Um, sorry, the film is pretty much spoiler-proof, let's face it, um, because the story here is nothing new. Um, the setup is very familiar. But luckily, this isn't a remake, um, as we were worried about when we saw a teaser, which shows a lot of um, old, old sort of those actor gags from um, King of Comedy. We were worried that this he's really just rehashing old stuff. But luckily, this isn't really a remake. It's more like a new approach to a very similar setup. Um, so it's also about an extra who doesn't, you know, who isn't really that good and and fa- can't really crack the industry, and her. Now it's a her, and she's trying to to pursue her dream despite a lot of pressure from around her. Where, but whereas you know, um, the original King of Comedy um, took a very dark, humorous uh, way of of talking about that kind of character. Here is a much more traditional approach, really uh, about you know pursuing dreams and all that stuff. So we can say this is more like a remake of Derek E's I Am Somebody. Um, I Am Somebody was. Um, set and filmed in Handan or Handan the the really famous uh, film studio in China and they use real actors real bit players from Handan to star in the film um, except the problem here is that Derek Gi was way too earnest in his approach and didn't realize that these actors didn't become big stars for a reason because they all couldn't act so um and he, of course it all showed in the film and it to me it was a really terrible film because you know it's one of those films that where really a rarity where the acting literally destroyed the film and that's something i haven't seen because you know a good director can always sort of save it somehow but here um the acting is so important because it's a drama about actors that the acting truly ruined the film but here um, with New King of Comedy, the bad acting is actually played for laughs. So um, because it's also set on a, on a film studio, fictional film studio, um, more like in southern China. So it's not like it's not officially Handian, but it's a, it's a similar deal. Um, again, huge studio, lots of aspiring actors, lots of bit players trying to get small gigs and trying to survive, trying to pursue their dreams. Um, so like I said, it's a very familiar setup, but here Stephen Chow does it a much you know, does it much better. As someone who who does feel guilty about giving up on his dreams in the film industry, you know me. Um, I went to film school. I wanted to get into the film industry here. Um, I somehow gave up on that because I, you know, want to make a living. Although I've been lucky enough to do um, a lot of things connected to the film industry. My dream was really to to make films and to to write films. And as someone who 
kind of had to give up on that dream. That side, well, at least I put it aside for the last eight years or so. This it does hit home a little bit, to be honest, um, because you know you see scenes of uh, the father who, who on surface you know gives her give um, dreamy lots of um, pressure about quitting and is very angry, but he also likes to sneak up on like goes to the goes to the studio and and spies on her and see um whoever um yells at her and then goes and gives them a hard time so i, th- I thought it's it actually both really funny and touching at the same time um what he does um for his daughter so you got that new sort of daughter father element here in this film and i was quite moved by that um not that my family did anything like that they are supportive but they don't have to do anything like what the father does here um and like I said, it doesn't really have any of the odd, almost macabre, macabre um, humor of the original King of Comedy. You remember the original? There's some really weird um, see, set up set pieces. You know, like the the nerd who who goes who gets um, slapped repeatedly by Stephen Chow, and then he goes and takes on a bunch of triad guys, or you know, um, uh, Stephen Chow messing with little kids. You know, Derek, um, <laughs> things like that. Um, and and that film also really violent if you remember actually, lots of um, odd moments of violence, especially the ending. But now it's been replaced by scenes of Wang Bao Chan playing Snow White. Don't even ask. Seriously, don't, don't even ask. <laughs> I didn't find it comp- very funny, but I found it funny the first time, and it stopped being funny the third or fourth time he does it. Um, but apparently Chinese audiences like that kind of stuff, so whatever. For a film that was shot and completed in three months, you know, like Misbehavior, it was surprisingly coherent, and I was even moved by it at points. Um, I think, um, I don't think Stephen Chow is trying to say anything new here, but um, I like what it says about the craft of acting, because in the first film, the Stephen Chow character doesn't really learn anything. He, 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 yeah, his funny, it's funny that he's sort of this self-involved extra who takes you know doing what he does a bit too seriously but then he doesn't really learn anything from it right um here um he he improves on that formula by actually having the character learn something that maybe all the theories and all the all the uh self seriousness that she projects maybe those actually don't quite improve her acting it's something else that makes her acting genuine and made her a star in the end if you if you don't buy the medicine theory um by the way um of about the third act um then yes that's what she does is that is that she learns something about the craft of acting and actually um and that from that knowledge uh finds improvement from it and she learns something which is you know what scripts teach us to do is that your your lead character must learn something along the way becomes a new person at the end of the film and it follows that that structure much better than the original film um urging one who plays the lead as fine is her first leading role um, she also was sort of a bit player and climbed her way up for the past eight years before getting a chance to do this film. Um, she is fine in her first leading role. Of course, she's not the really uh, a, a, a traditional, you know, Stephen Chow beauty or even uh, a Wong Jing beauty, what we call um, it, what we call female discoveries by these male directors. Um, and so, of course, her looks are play for laughs. Um, it's true that she's not you know quite beautiful and yes the fact that she fails is because she isn't as pretty as many of the um actors who work in the studio um but you know 
more credit for her to for being game at what Stephen Chow throws at her. I mean, you spent half the half a film that you're 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 getting a leading role in, and then being told you're ugly. Um, that's must not be a very pleasant experience. But she seemed game for the whole thing, so you know, more credit to her. Wang Bachan turns up the acting to eleven, which is becomes really annoying. But he's not doing the the dumb thing, the dummy thing, um, which is good. Instead, he's playing the prima donna, but he also shows a very a sad sack side to that act, which is something he hasn't quite done before. So I so I appreciate that. But Wan Bashan turning up to eleven is genuinely not nice. And if you want to see um, an entire film of that, go watch Detective Chinatown. There are two of them. Good luck. <laughs> uh, Netizens have complained about um, the film. This, it, this isn't getting very good feedback in China because they're saying that um, Si Wen Chao is using old sticks for laughs. I mean, Si Wen Chao's been doing that for nearly two decades, guys. I mean, it's nothing new. Um, you guys keep showing up to his movies. And in fact, in the West, someone who uses the same shtick for two um, for two decades, we call him Otair. So um, why isn't it okay for Steven Chow to do it? Um, yeah, he's using classic Canto Pop, which is something he always does. Um, he's using sometimes the same gag. He even has um, Tin Ho Man um, come back and Tin Kai Man, sorry, not Tin... Almost a team. I was like, it was like a a combination of Team Ho One and Team Kaiman. That was really <laughs> weird. Team Kaiman, um, who also was briefly appeared in King of Comedy, essentially do the exact same gag, but of course with a bit of twist. Yeah, but come on, Stephen Chow's been doing it for twenty years. Ever since he started directing, he's been recycling old gags. So it's not really exactly the time to complain now. I mean, he's got a sequel coming up. He's been doing Monkey King movies, which again, also I think is the same shtick. Um, and he's doing, and if Kung Fu Hustle 2 is happening, sequels are always making, guys. So, good luck. There's another three, four years of Steven Chow using old sticks. So, you know, if you don't like it, don't show up. That's what I'm just saying. But I'm going to keep going, you know, because that's a Steven Chow movie. By the way, if you were in Hong Kong or if you watched, seen Hong Kong promos for this film, you would, you would have seen um, Cecilia Chen. Uh, in the advertisement saying that she appears uh, or her voice appears in the film. Um, don't bother. She's only in one very short scene. I'm not even going to ruin that because it came as a real surprise to hear her in that scene. But um, yeah, she's only in a, in a very, very short scene. So if you're trying, if you're thinking you want to see Cecilia Chern or you want to hear Cecilia Chern's voice in a Stephen Chow movie, forget about it. it. It's not. Although I suspect that Stephen Chow's voice also appears um, at one point in that scene, but I can't say for sure because it's not credited, obviously. So, um, so who knows? Um, there was a chance we might have just heard Stephen Chow's voice act, um, but I don't know. But anyway, if you're looking for, if you're trying to, if you want to hear Cecilia Chen, um, go look for the old King of Comedy instead of this film. Um, what? Oh, so yeah, the the, the Cantu dub. Um, meanwhile, I think it's of course the closest thing to Stephen Chow making a Cantonese film again. Same thing for Mermaid. Because he is um, a pretty much a perfectionist who supervises all the Cantonese dubbing of his films, you know he cares about this type of thing. So the dubbing I think is better than a lot of the mainland China to Cantonese films um, because you could tell that he really tuned it for a Hong Kong audience in terms of uh, dialogue, and you know that's how he shows he still cares about the Hong Kong market. But come on, show up for a Q and A, man. Come on, I go. A lot of people would go. I think, I, I think you could, you could, 
do it in the cultural center and sell out a, a thousand five hundred seats. Sure, I think that could happen, but he's not going to do it. But anyway, so in the end, the Cantonese dub is going to be closest we get to Stephen Chow making Cantonese film again. But unfortunately, the English subtitles doesn't quite follow the Cantonese dubbing. It follows the Mandarin subtitles, I think. Um, so good luck with that. Personally, it's my pick for the best of this year's Lunar New Year films. Um, but that's because I don't find this year's crops particularly inspiring. Um, I think they're okay. And in that class of okay to very weak films, this happens to be the best. So is it actually that good? No. I mean, Stephen, even Stephen Chow is not going to tell you that this is his best film. Um, he put it together very quickly. Um, and he made something that was, you know, not bad, you know. But is it that good? Not really. I'm, I'm, I'm still glad we're getting new Stephen Chow movies. I mean, this film doesn't change my mind about being glad about seeing Stephen Chow movies. So I'm glad to have a Stephen Chow movie for the new year. This is a tradition that I hope keeps going for a long time. And bring on Mermaid 2, man. I'm ready. I think I went in with my bar set too high, um, perhaps. And I, I agree with Kevin in that it's kind of an okay film for for the lunar new year um but it fell very much in the middle of the range of films that i ended up seeing um there's again some great sort of callbacks to things here i mean the main character's name is dreamy and i think in terms of the the chinese it's basically the same that his lead lady charlotte chung always used right back in the day um, Yumong, because that was Yumong, yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah, you know, that was that was um, you know his thing for her in the few films that she appeared in early on with him, um, and you know you mentioned uh, Wang Bao Chang and of course uh, the Detective Chinatown films last year Chinese New Year was uh, Detective Chinatown too, and for me I think he's really over the top in those films and I think. He was kind of downplayed here and that that sort of kind of mean diva nature um, kind of overshadowed some of the some of the more com- comedic moments. And yeah, I agree. He dressing him up as Snow White and, and the, the whole gag of that kind of movie was OK. But for me, the, this film really didn't start to take off until there's a there's a sequence where they try to scare him. And that's when I thought the film really started to pick up. Prior to that, I did feel like this was a lot of retread, Um, especially the very first thing that one of the very first things that they do is this extended gag where the lead actress, uh, Lee Jingwen, you know, is pulled in as a stand in and is beaten up. That's the same gag they used in King of Comedy, if I remember correctly. And that gag got reused with Sandra Mm in, I want to say, the first... I love Hong Kong, right? Where yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or second one, I think, or, or the the first or second, yeah. And and you know, basically, it was the same thing that they borrowed that from King of Comedy, and they basically just redid that with her in that. So I was kind of surprised that that gag went on for as long as it did. Um, and then I kind of that kind of set the tone for me, you know, you know, going through it. Um, I did like E. Jingwen in the role, and I think here too we, you see a lot of the same kind of tonal usages that the director is known for. Um, they do make fun of her appearance, but you know you look at Shaolin Soccer, you look at um, 
uh, God of Cookery, right? Uh, you look at, uh, what, what was it, the six, six, $60 million man? Um, the, you know, the one thing that he always did is he'd take these actresses who look great, you know, and when they're made up in real life, and he makes them look terrible until the end of the film, and there's a transformation. And that kind of happens here. I mean, I know that they make a lot of fun of E. Jung, but she's not an unattractive actress. They, I think they just kind of planed her up. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't to the extremes of something like uh, God of Cookery that they did with Karen Mock, but there, he's still doing that kind of thing. You know, he's, he's taking an actress and he's saying, you know, making fun of her looks, but then by the end, you know, they're not doing that anymore because she's not unattractive at all. Um, I think the focus on her was fine and her experience, but like you said, you've seen those kind of things done before. The thing, the film that came to my mind was, um, uh, my name is fame, right? The Lao Ching Wan film where here again, you're looking at this dynamic, this kind of almost a star is born dynamic where you've got an aged veteran, you know, who's kind of in decline and you've got this newbie who's coming up. You've seen this done in the music industry with things like. Uh, the Diva movie and the Charlene movie. What was that? Uh, Diva Hey, right? But and mm-hmm. and and My Name Is Fame did it from the acting side. So for me, none of that really felt very fresh or new. It, it's kind of that that same mold. Um, and I again, I think that the the lead actress as somebody who's not had a leading role before, she was fine in it. But the people who stole the show from me were the parents, and every time they were on screen. I wanted more of them on screen. Um, and then they'd, you know, kind of go back and back to the studio and back to like all this, all the story beats for her rise as an actress, they just felt predictable to me. The, her best friend, the way their relationship evolves, you know, and they go for some light gags there. But you just, I, I saw it coming, you know, the boyfriend, I was hoping that was going to be a very different thing, the way that that turned out. But I kept saying, Nope, this is going to go this way, and and that's the way it went. And what I wanted it to do was I wanted it to surprise me and not go that way. I wanted it to be different from what my expectation was saying. This is how, you know, this this relationship is going to play out. There was this small hope in me that uh, Stephen Chow was really going to do something different. Where he did do something different, I think, was, again, that family relationship, and that works really well for the Lunar New Year period. Um, so I, I really liked that. I really wanted to see more of that. I, I did think that her emergence as an actress, like you said, the things that she learns by the end and the way she she builds on that's great, but it's it's not super climactic, I would say, um, but by the end. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really great performance, but I felt it was almost a little bit anticlimactic. And, but again, we're coming off things like The Mermaid. We're coming off um, you know, Journey to the West, Conquering Demons, where he's had really big budgets and these really big effects pieces. And so something like this feels a bit smaller by comparison. And for me, the humor was just a little bit, it, it fell back a little bit more in line with something like CJ7. It didn't really feel quite as, as there there wasn't quite as much fresh ideas being generated, I think. And if it's a rushed production, like you were saying, you know, this was something he was doing to fill the gap, that makes a lot more sense to me now than, you know, thinking that this was like a, something that had been developed over a longer period of time, I guess. Well, I mean, 
think about it, I was well, what was I gonna say? Yeah, Stephen Chow movies always tend to have trouble sticking the landing. Even from God of Cookery, he's had trouble sticking the landing, right? Um, um, Kung Fu Hustle was a slightly better, um, but God of Cookery to me, the ending is still a disaster. I think the way um, I think we can spoil a twenty-two year movie now, right? <laughs> the way that the Goddess of Mercy shows up and you know, sort of, um, um, what's the word we use here? Um, what was it? The ending given by um, Deus Ex Machina, everything. Yeah, Deus mm. Ex Machina, everything. Um, and then, of course, the original King of Comedy couldn't stick the landing. Um, so I, I think Stephen Chow movies always have trouble sticking the landing. And here, I think it's more of a really straight, just like Mermaid was a bit straightforward, even though he also had trouble sticking the landing of that film. Um, I think here, he, he finally does something a little bit more restrained. And, and I like this ending, say, better than Mermaid's. Hmm. Okay, interesting. I think that's a that's a that's a fair assessment. Inter- I mean, for Mermaid, the first time I saw it, it was such a. It, you know, you talk about it, one thing he does kind of pull back on here is that sort of macabre nature that the first film had, and and Mermaid was definitely very macabre by the end. I mean, that that was shockingly so. I think um, even revisiting it very recently, as I have, um, you know, it still it still has that kind of sensibility to it. So. It'd be interesting to see if that carries through um, to the sequel film or not. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. I did see the promos with Cecilia Chung. Um, we're basically, for those who, because I don't know, I don't think you get a chance to see this. It might be up on YouTube. But basically, she's in the recording studio with uh, director Stephen Chow. And she's basically saying to the extent, like, you know, it's not Chinese New Year if it's not a Stephen Chow movie, right? And And so I'm expecting that the lead actress... All her dubbing is gonna be like <laughs> Cecilia Chung, and I'm like, that's not her, that's not her. And then, oh wait, they're gonna do this scene. That's her, and it <laughs> almost, it's almost like, you know, they could have just gotten the original track, right? <laughs> they, did they really need to go to the studio for that? Um, it was nice to see the little mini reunion that they had uh, on there when they were doing the promo. Um, but yeah, it was a, a little bit disappointing that she wasn't. Uh, you know, her voice wasn't quite as prominent in it as I had expected. I am very interested, though, to go back and watch this in um, hopefully sync sound in in a Putonwa version. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I think I think the it's gonna work in its own way because I think I really like the Mandarin trailer, the second one, um, the one with the actual story in it. I quite like that trailer, and I was looking forward to hearing um, the the voice, the, uh, the acting, the original Mandarin acting in that version. All right, and welcome back. So for our second review this week, we look at the musical film, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. So this is, I guess, the directorial debut 
of Wang Cholam, who's uh, stepping into the director's chair to work on this musical. Uh, the story, what can I tell you? I'm not going to tell you much because it is an anthology of tales about various stages of relationships between couples. Um, so it's in some ways almost like sketch comedy because there's no direct correlation or connection between any of these stories. Uh, and I know that that might be off-putting for some folks, but um, you do have a very strong cast here. You have, uh, again, the director himself, Wong Cho Lam, Teresa Mo, Ivan Wong, Eric Tsang, and a host of others, including uh, Joey... Joey... Yong. Yong, Yong, Yong Cho Yin, right? And, uh, yeah. and Sammy Chang, right? Um, among a host of others that you'll recognize from TVB and, and lots of other places and, and films and things. So this is a a full musical, but with dialogue. So it's not an opera. It's not like a Les Mis thing, which as I first sat down and started going into us, I'm like, oh, I hope they're not going to sing all the dialogue. But no, they they do have uh, dialogue at points. And there's one segment, uh, an extended segment, that's actually got no music in it, which is was an interesting choice. Um, and I know that for something like this, I think you are either a musical person or you're not, really. Um, and I think that for me, I, I like musicals, but the songs have to win me over. So the last Hong Kong musical, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, perhaps Love? Um, if you count that as a Hong Kong film. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, we don't do musicals very well. We do musicals on stage here, Yeah. but we don't do it in film. Um, and I feel like this film is the reason why. But anyway, you can go on. <laughs> okay. Um, well, for me, the songs won me over over right away, whereas in Perhaps Love, uh, you know, they, they did not. Um, that was not a film that um, won me over musically or in terms of the story or, or anything else, really. Um, but this one, um, right from the start, I, I liked the musical numbers and I liked uh, some of the storytelling that was going on, again, even though it's more of a sketch comedy-based kind of thing. Wang Cho Lam apparently had worked on a local adaptation that was done for the stage, I think, in terms of writing some of the dialogue for the, or lyrics for the music. Um, I don't think he was he was in the production himself, but I could be wrong. And, you know, I think that his familiarity with that is, is very helpful here. And, uh, it, you know, I think there's a good attention to detail uh, Ivana Wong does quite a bit of heavy lifting, taking on a few roles throughout. Uh, Wong Chul Lam is in front of the camera for a few, a couple of segments, but not uh, a majority of them, which I think was a good choice. I remember when we initially talked about this some episodes back, my big concern was that if he's going to be in the director's chair, is he going to be, you know, placing himself front and center throughout the film? And uh, fortunately, he does not. And he taps on, again, quite a number of people to come in and take up quite a few of the roles. I've not seen the original stage production. As I understand it, um, that production is like a four-person show. And so here they really broaden this out, which I think is a, is a good choice and works well for uh, the Lunar New Year period. Um for me, uh, along with the music, there are a lot of fun background details to spot. There's a gag early on where the um, there's a bunch of like classic Hong Kong movie posters, and uh, director Wong has inserted himself in in those posters. Um, there's one segment that takes place at kind of a game arcade, and there's a 
the, the sort of the central hot game, I, I guess, that the people are playing at this card game, this arcade is called Hungry for Chickens. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but that just made me <laughs> giggle to no end. Um, so little stuff like that, uh, just kind of, I had a lot of enjoyment with it. It's nice to see some stage folks here like Joey Lung and Michael Ning, who had done some stage work. I had the good fortune to see them do a couple stage performances way, way back in the day. Um, to see them, you know, here on screen, uh, this is very, this is a very stagey piece, um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like all of the segments are just stage adaptations. They do some outside stuff. There's some big production numbers that for me were quite impressive. Again, considering that Hong Kong doesn't really have uh, a, a strong history of doing this kind of thing. Um, of course, you get the regular stuff. You get, uh, you know, embedded ads. I mean, Eric Zhang's KY ad was, like, blatantly posted up in, 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 in uh, you know, a big billboard sign in one point. And, and so there's that kind of thing still going on, which is kind of indicative of the commercialism in, in Hong Kong cinema. Um, and there's a familiar turn by Teresa Mo, again, in a non-musical segment, which just really felt like they said, we need some filler can you just kind of do what you did last year <laughs> in the film you did last year? That one that was kind of an award bait film. Um, and it's a, it's a good segment. It just, it was just like, okay, why, you know, why, you know, why it's a non-musical segment. It just kind of felt like they just needed to put something in there. Um, but for the most part, I think the performances are fun. You have Sammy here in a, probably one of the best segments, I think of the film, um, as I mentioned, Joe Young's here. You don't get to see her all that often these days on, on the big screen. Hers was okay. Um, not, not one of the better ones, but I was still happy to see her up there. Uh, this is not for the kiddies. Okay. Uh, let me just, let me just say that it, you know, you, you might go into this thinking, Hey, happy time musical with Eric Zhang and Wong Chul Lam and, you know, all these guys. Um, there's some adult themes here. And at my screening, there was an elder granny sitting with uh, a young child and she quickly had to cover the eyes of the young child and start talking loudly when a certain adult thing was happening um, that I won't spoil too much, but it's between uh, Bob Lamb and Harriet Young, which is already kind of scary <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> but um, so, you know, just be aware, folks, that uh, not all Lunar New Year movies are family friendly um, in the ways that you might think. Um, and so this one definitely had some, you know, not category three, but some adult moments that are being insinuated that if you got young ones with you, you're going to have some splaining to do possibly. Um, again, I know musicals are not for everyone. Um, if you're somebody who doesn't like musicals, this is not going to be for you. Um, especially if you're not, you know, if you're somebody who wants a standard narrative, you know, a standard Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 kind of thing, because this is, again, broken up into chapters with different stories, different people. They don't connect in any way, shape, or form. They are just stories about different stages of relationships. Um, but for me, it was a treat because this kind of thing is all too rare for Hong Kong cinema. And you would think that, you know, with the music industry over here, with Canto Pop, with the way that, you know... In the old days, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s, you know, there was almost always an MTV-style montage segment that happened, you know, in, in, you know, the second or third act of a film, um, you would think that, that there'd be more of a sort of a musical cinema kind of thing here, but there isn't. So 
it was a it was a nice thing to see for me. Uh, most of the productions are fun. They do some really good localization um, with with some of the stuff, and the larger numbers I was really quite impressed with. I thought, okay, it's going to be a small scale film, but they actually had a few numbers with quite a few extras in some locations um, that I thought was really really impressive. This is not the most traditional lunar lunar New Year film of the 2019 lineup. Um, but again, I for me, it had good laughs, good cameos, and some good music. And if that's something that appeals to you, I think you'll have a good time with it. Kevin, I know you don't agree, so... I I actually had some fun with it. But I feel like um, what Wancho Lam's problem is that he doesn't know the difference between a stage musical and a film musical. In that a lot of the actors look like they're still acting for stage. Hmm. They're still trying to project. Like, Ivana Wong... Okay, Joey Young in the entire film, where you have a musical, okay, people sing. And Joey Young is the only one that's taking the singing seriously. Uh, it feels like... Because you know, Ivana Wong is, is also a great singer, but because she is asked to come in and do this whole... The comedic shtick that she's been doing for Wan Cholam all these years that she's projecting for stage and then she just sort of hamming it up the entire time. She didn't even get the chance to do any real um, singing, mm. which I found um, to be very sad. You know, in a mu- you have a musical of a cast of people and only one person sings seriously the entire film. Uh, so I found that it wasn't, it didn't really work for me as a musical, as a, at least a musical film. Uh, I'm a fan of musicals. I like musicals a lot. Um, you know, Singing the Rain is one of my top films, top 10 films. Um, so I love musicals, but of course, Hong Kong doesn't have the budget, the resource, or the know-how to pull off these type of, you know, splashy, you know, big, um, grand musical extravaganza that that Hollywood or even Bollywood knows know how to make. Uh, Bollywood proves that it's not that expensive to make a decent commercial musical. But of course, in terms of Hong Kong budget, it's, it's impossible. It's virtually impossible. So um, I know I know that Wan Chunam had a lot of um, difficulties, probably trying to get the best musical sequences out of what he has. And and I think I admired him for doing it. Um, it's good that he takes a, he, he he takes a stab at it. Um, and of course, it's good that he chose something that he's very familiar with because he has a theater background, and this is what he chose to do. Um, so I, I have things that I like about the film. I just found it a bit exhausting. And like you said, the, there's that one segment with Teresa, Teresa Mo that doesn't have any um, music. And I feel like that entire section could just be... Because there's one thing that annoys me, and it's the overuse of reaction shots. Um, there's something that killed Bohemian Rhapsody for me. Um, there's something that kills... Uh, that's why I don't watch Chinese uh, variety shows. Um, and here they use the same approach. Too many reaction shots. Um, and uh, I was really annoyed by that segment, actually. I didn't find it even all that touching to begin with. Um, and you keep telling me it's supposed to be touching. I, I can't I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, so I, I found that um, section really annoying. So Also, it feels like they didn't color grade half the film. Because half the film, it just seems like they use raw footage. Like, uh, you know, a, a musical especially something this this sort of this um how should i say removed from reality you know you want a bit of color in it it's supposed to be vivid it's supposed to really come jump leap off the screen but here they don't even look like they color graded any of these things it's all pure white across like this white sheen across the screen so that really annoyed me like you know you 
could have done a little bit more post-production to make the film look more like a real musical. But of course, this is Wong Chun-Nam's first attempt, and of course, it's a very ambitious thing to do to be making this full-blown musical for your first film without a narrative. Um, it, it's a very ambitious thing, and I admired him for it. And I will do, tell a little bit of side story, is that it was the second day of New Year, and we got together with um, Ross, uh, who runs Love Shea Film, and his kids to watch the Lego movie. It's the second day of New Year, so we're all still on holiday, and we come out of the cinema in the lobby, and suddenly Wong Chun-Nam sneaks up to us saying, hey, have you guys seen my movie yet? And we're like, whoa. Like Wong Chun-Nam is apparently doing an entire a day tour of the cinemas um, that day to promote the film on the second day of New Year. So he's working really hard to promote the film. Um, of course, I felt a bit um, ambushed. I was like, what? What's going on? And turned around. I was like, oh, it's, it's Wong Chun-Nam. Which the cinema were you guys at? It was at the Grand. Because he was at, the, I w- it wasn't at the screening that I saw this film, but I think it was at the, when I went to see Integrity, he was there. <laughs> yeah, he does the same <laughs> at, thing, at, right? at, at Hollywood. This was at the Hollywood cinema, yeah. you know, and he was there taking pictures with people and like, you know, watch my movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so he was handing out red, red packets with free tickets in there and things like that. Because I had seen the film, so I didn't need the ticket. Um, but he passed it to, to my friends. And um, of course... Um, Ross's son was super, super, super shy. He refused to like even say hi. <laughs> so that was funny. But I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Get gave me an excuse to walk away because I always feel a bit <laughs> awkward at these things. But it was a bit shell shock. Um, but still, you know, he he worked and his team um, and the team at Golden Scene, the distributor, they work really hard to promote the film uh, because they know they have something that's not really traditional um, uh, for something that is very mainstream. Uh, for a period that's very mainstream and very much mass entertainment. So I, I admire what they were doing, but unfortunately, I just didn't particularly like it. But like like I said, um, I wrote somewhere that it's good to see theater actors get some sunlight. All right, I think we're going to um, not do kind of super deep reviews as we've done with these two films uh, for the 2019 season, but we do want to touch on some of the other Hong Kong releases uh, that were released uh, during this period. So let's... There's a lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. Let's start off with uh, Pang Ho Chung's Misbehavior, which I was pretty high on my list. I think it, was, it came in at uh, number three, number two for pure Hong Kong releases. Um, so, Kevin, what was your thoughts on misbehavior? So, I'm a huge Powertron fan, and you know that. Sorry, I'm speaking like I'm in the lightning round. Um, <laughs> I was looking forward to this one, but I know that it was a very, again, very quick production. Shot in 14 days, shot on a, on a DSLR, um, funded hit by, by Pang's company himself, and pretty much getting it all his buddies together for this you know, new, new Year film. This is what I call um, a New Year film for, for MKers, like Mongkok kids. It's, it has a lot of a viral um, or internet humor that you have to sort of know. Like even the internet slogan takes forever to explain if you're not, you know, hip with the internet culture. Um, the slogan, which is "I really have, I really must congratulate you," which comes from a very shady source. Uh, it's from leak recording featuring Michelle Reyes. I'm not, I'm not gonna explain it again. Um, and then of course you have the the gags like the 
the fireman um the fireman uh, mascot <laughs> anyone <laughs> yeah that's like a blue man group kind of thing so a lot of this really local humor that i enjoyed but no it's not a great film um not all the humor works because it's really it, it really has that throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach to it um and i did but i did appreciate the message in the end i thought it comes together quite well the script actually is more thoughtful than 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 um one might think for a film produced this way. So um, I appreciate it. It's not my favorite film of the new year. In fact, Stephen Chow's King of Comedy is. Um, but I appreciated it. Uh, as crude, as vulgar um, as it is. Yeah. Paul? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, uh, I think that with Peng Ho Chung films, a lot of times my feeling is, is that the ideas that come from these are generated when he sits with his friends, you know, his celebrity friends around an evening of hot pot, right? And they're like, "Oh, this thing happened," or "I heard about, I heard this rumor," and he's like, "That'd be great for a, uh, you know, a script." Because uh, the story here is kind of, you know, it's like it, it it seems plausible to an extent, you know, that <laughs> this 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 mix up happens at, and accidentally, and suddenly, you know, like friends are scrambling to try and and solve the problem and then some of the other sequences like you know there's a sequence with Dada Chen in a kindergarten toilet and I'm thinking oh you know this God. is this is this sounds like something that probably happened to one of his buddies and he like got to write that got to put it in a script you know <laughs> <laughs> because it's 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 not really you know it's not unrelated sketch comedy style things but still it's like you know it, it sometimes it feels very far removed from the overall plot of of things that are happening but it, it is a big cast i mean you do get to see like Gigi lang here and her husband you know if you want to ever want to see her husband on screen briefly um is there his name like sergio yeah yeah, Sir, yeah sergio I, I remember, sergio yeah yeah because then i remember the uh, i don't know if you watched saturday night live but uh you got the john ham uh Playing that that curse that was a cursed monster of the saxophone, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, you know, and even even that sequence, it was like, you know, the the elevator sequence and the passing gas. It just sounds like something that happened, right? It, it perhaps that's a, even a true Gigi story when they met or something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, it, but it always ha it always has that feel uh, like it's an inside joke, which I kind of like. I mean, I, that might not appeal to everybody. Um, but I like that kind of approach. I like the kind of humor that he puts in here. Um, you know, and, and even, even some of the, some of the more, um, stagey stuff, right? Like there's this thing that happens and, and Lam Shut is really over the top. But for me, he was one of the best things, uh, best things of the film, you know, because of just this very short scene and what they have him do. Um, but it, it, that also kind of has, a message for it, you know, and uh, so I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Again, it's uh, there are some things in here that are going to make you kind of think twice about, you know, is this something you want to bring kids to? Not maybe not quite as adult in terms of themes as the the sequence and and I love you, you're perfect now change. But even so, it's like, hmm, you know, I mean, uh, they're they're playing with poo. <laughs> kindergarten toilet and they're they're going to these back alley places with the you know they, there's a there's a bondage school hmm you know do we want to be bringing the kids to this uh so you know again you know you might want to have a screening first before you decide to put this in in your regular rotation when you have the family sitting down to watch uh 
Lunar New Year films. Um, but Honestly, it, I wouldn't show any of the Chinese New Year films this year to any kids, <laughs> except for Peppa Pig, maybe. Even the Stephen Chow one, because it teaches kids to be rude. Yeah, really, really true. rude. Rude, yeah. Uh, and to treat uh, to treat extras really badly. So uh, that's the lesson there. So, uh, yeah, I think um, I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. And uh, it, it gets a bit crazy by the end. There's, I mean, almost nonsensical at points when they're, when they're, there's a there's a chase sequence with some security guards and I'm kind of like really, but you know by that point I was on board with it and I was just going with the flow. So, uh, you know there is a little bit of a, a you, you give some films in this period a little bit of a pass because it is the holiday. So misbehavior, check it out and if you liked it, let us know what you thought. Uh, I guess next up, perhaps one of the most traditional of the Lunar New Year films is A Lifetime Treasure, which has a pretty big cast of old-timers, faces that if you've been following Hong Kong cinema for any amount of years, you will recognize, Um, and also some, you know, some fairly newer folks on the scene, like Louis Louis Chung, and also Ivana Wong is here as well, uh, doing a bit more heavy lifting. So what did you think of A Lifetime Treasure? So this is the um, directorial debut of Andrew Lam, who you may remember um, in Full Strike, and of course Hong Kongers love him, in those um, the Eric Chung variety game show back in the day, and of course he's a very very famous lyricist, who's you know who really wrote a lot of the really biggest songs in um, the eighties and the nineties. But apparently, you know, but unfortunately, he's picked up this sense of humor where he's it's it's almost like stoner humor, except if the stoner is really sleepy, like. <laughs> just saying a lot of stupid things but in this really um tired way and he looks like he's out of his mind disoriented um i feel like that humor works in small doses um unfortunately this is a feature film so uh i barely laughed at it i didn't find it that funny and although i really did like this uh random recreation of one scene from a 90s spy movie i'm not gonna reveal which, which one but it's so it comes out of like left field. Like who would remember that scene by that much detail? Like I recognize it right away because I'm a huge fan of that film. But I'm like, yeah, people would recognize that one shot. But you actually went and recreated the rest of it. <laughs> like I was really <laughs> impressed by it. Um, but that was the only thing I found worthy of this film. I I didn't find any the, the rest of it that good. Oh, Richard Mm of course is really good. But yeah, I didn't really enjoy the rest of this. I thought this is the worst one out of all. Yeah, this was a bit lower on my list to be sure. Um, it, I, there, I mean, there's a couple bits of the narrative, especially between Louis Chung and Richard, which I think have some merit. But a lot of it is just, again, sort of these sketch gags. There's like a thing where they're filming a zombie movie, and it, the, the basic premise of the story is that you've got these five elderly people living in this rundown, decrepit. Um, retirement home and there's a big company run by Lam Shut who wants to basically take it over so they can have the monopoly on all retirement homes for some reason. Um, Ivana Wong works here as the nurse and Andrew Lam's kind of the head caretaker of it and Bob Lam and Louis Chung are sent in to kind of, you know, uh, cause trouble so that the, the takeover can become easy but as they work there they, you know, get to know these elderly folks and they start to bond with them more and uh, you know that 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 kind of storyline they wear star trek suits for some reason um there's an alien gag in here so i guess andrew 
uh, you know, the director likes science fiction because <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he took it upon himself to put, you know, put these references in there without, you know, explaining why it, it just was something to do. And his humor, yeah, definitely is something that can be an acquired taste. Um, again, he was in uh, staycation last year and was allowed to improv in, in various points. And you can kind of tell when they're letting him, you know, go and, and do his thing. And it's interesting because in the credits for this film, you get a chance to see him let others do that, right? There's this extended sequence where he just basically is prompting you know, uh, Lam Shut to try and get comedy to come out. Um, and in some cases yeah. it works, but it takes a while to get there, right? Um, so it, it was, that that for me was perhaps one of the most interesting parts of the movie is watching that sort of working process go. Um, but this, you know, this is the one film where they actually wish the audience sort of, you know, the traditional Lunar New Year greeting. And it's got, you know, that kind of feel to it, you know, of having a good message, a positive message. It is probably the least offensive um, in terms of, I don't think there was really any, I mean, there's a, the, the, the zombie sequence, you know, there's an actress in a bikini. It can be a little bit racy, but I don't think there was anything overly offensive for um, little ones, a little bit of, you know, comedic violence at times. Um, there's a, they let Bruce Lung have a little bit of a Kung Fu sequence that was very badly shot. I have to, I have, <laughs> do have to say, I mean, the double was very obvious in some scenes and it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, you can go back to older cinema and you can, you can spot the doubles, but here it was just kind of really, it just really stood out. And I was like, eh, they kind of maybe could have just let him keep his close ups, and they could, didn't need to maybe necessarily do the wide shots. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but overall it's, it's, it's not great. It's not, you know, too terrible. I think it's you know mildly entertaining uh, as as something to watch. Uh, the the big kicker is going to be how much you like and you know Andrew Lim's style of humor. And if that's something that hasn't appealed to you, like in the films that we mentioned, this may not be worth your time. Although I would say just watch it to see the you know the the, the guys at work, the older guys at work, um, especially Richard and Sam was here, but he's really not in it all that much. I was kind of disappointed because he's kind of front and center on the promotional material, and he's I you know he's maybe got ten minutes of screen time in total, which I thought was uh, you know a bit unfortunate. I, w- I wanted to see more of him, uh, but you know the rest of it's fine. Bob Lamb's in a terrible wig for some reason because I think they're trying to set him up as a romantic. Um, partner for Ivana, which is weird to me. Um, but they gave him hair, and it just it it looked fake and bad. And I was like, okay, why didn't they just let him, you know, go oh natural? I guess they figured it made him look too old for the role. Is the only thing I'm guessing, or they just thought the wig, wig looked silly and wanted to play it for comedic purposes. I guess the one film that uh, have have you seen a home with a view, Kevin? No, no. You have not seen so that was I'm more a, I'm more I'm more curious about what you think about Peppa Pig. Yeah, well, Home with care a, about the Herman Yao. <laughs> Home with a View is the I, I you know, it was a week before Lunar New Year and it's a big cast and is it technically a Lunar New Year film? I I want to say no, even though it's got the big cast. It had earlier release in China um and and despite having, you know, Francis and Anita Yun in it, and even Lam Shut, who I think wins the Lunar New Year Film Award 
for being in the most lunar in your films. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty macabre and dark, and uh, it's a comedy, but it's, yeah, it's also one that don't take the kids. Don't take the kids to this one. <laughs> Please, because there's there's <laughs> one scene your that's, theme. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really disturbing, and yeah. Um, this New Year's theme seems to be don't show your kids Hong Kong movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no families this year. It's fine, and I think if you can can do some research on it, and if you understand the the history of it, it's 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 entertaining. The very good performances in it just didn't really feel like a New Year film for me. Um, and again, it's it gets comedically dark uh, in the latter half. So just you know, be aware of that. Um, yeah, the other one that got uh, sort of a day and date release that I managed to get out and see was the last film I was able to see before uh, coming back stateside. Peppa Pig celebrates Chinese New Year. Um, Peppa Pig is uh, a hot property because she was banned for a bit, and then now she's not banned for some reason that I don't really understand. But, you know, again, Winnie the Pooh is banned also, so these things tend to happen. Um, But because it's the year of the pig, many things pig are popular, and Peppa Pig is one of them. I think there's a mainland China production also about a pig, an animated pig, that was released around this time. I was mentioning in passing that uh, it's too bad that the McDull team could not uh, get something for Lunar New Year film for Hong Kong uh, out around this time because it would have been ideal. Um, But if you're not familiar with Peppa Pig, it is a children's animated cartoon show from the UK that is wildly popular with uh, certain age children. And if you don't know who Peppa Pig is, then that tells me you don't have children. Um, because, uh, yeah, how can you, if you have kids, you just, you know who Peppa Pig is. It's just, it's the law of the universe right now. Um, so Peppa Pig celebrates Chinese New Year is a sort of a mashup of the intellectual property of Peppa Pig with a live action musical production. So it's another musical that they have this year, which, um, I was surprised because going in, I did not know it was a musical. And so what it basically tells the story of a traditional sort of family Lunar New Year gathering in China. There's two central kids who are kind of the protagonists, um, a girl named Tongyun and a boy named Gaoji, suitable for Chinese New Year. And they're cute kids, and they are both kind of parallels for Peppa and her little brother George, uh, in a sense, in terms of their own ages um, they're, you know, they they live with their mom and dad, their grandparents on both sides, paternal and maternal are coming to visit for the Lunar New Year holiday. Um, there's a little bit of tension between grandparents as both try to sort of vie for attention of the kids. And basically this plays out as, you know, quite a few times where they're reading different Peppa stories. So what ends up happening is that, you know, there's live action going on, a musical number, and then the family sits down and they read a Peppa story and the Peppa cartoon picks up. And so there's, you know, I want to say maybe half a dozen Peppa cartoons throughout. And one of them is a full-on cartoon of Peppa and her classmates uh, going through and celebrating, uh, you know, sort of a traditional Chinese New Year. So that was interesting. And as as they go through, of course, the family is also, you know, going through the motions of celebrating their Chinese New Year, getting red packets and eating traditional dishes and this kind of thing. It's a very nice, glossy production. Again, the musical numbers are very well staged and 
were, were not part of my expectation. And I went and I watched this by myself, thinking that in Hong Kong they would be showing the Mandarin version. And I was guess I wasn't looking, because I went to a very early morning show, and I wasn't looking clearly at the dialogue options. And no, it was a full-on Cantonese dub, including the musical numbers, which were dubbed in Cantonese. And had I known that, I would have taken my daughter with me, because she loves Peppa Pig. I thought she was, you know, because she doesn't speak Mandarin or understand Mandarin very well. She speaks Cantonese and can follow Cantonese. But I thought, you know, she's not going to be able to keep up with reading subtitles because she can't read that quickly. So I'll go and watch this and hopefully I'll get, you know, a disc version later and and we can sit down and watch together. But, you know, again, much to my surprise, I, I would like to see the Mandarin version at a later point to see how well the sync sound is. So, you know, I think for the cartoon parts, it doesn't matter, but for the live action and the musical parts, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the sync sound is really um, sync sound or if it's all kind of post-dubbed together um, in, in that regard. I, I liked it. Um, you know, I was in there with a lot, of, of course, a lot of families were going to see this. This is not something that's for everybody. I could not see an adult, even, you know, even a crazy adult like myself, who's a, a fan of animation, I think that you might be bored in some of the Peppa cartoon sequences. If you're familiar with them, you know they're short and they tend tend to have a, you know, a fun little family message. But um, they're not that engaging if you're not really there with your kids watching them and and talking about them. The live action sequences I think are great. Again, high production value, um, nicely put together. Um, a little bit stagey at times. You can tell that they're working on, you know, uh, closed sets, but the art direction is very nice, very colorful, just very perfectly in line with kind of what you would expect with a, a Lunar New Year film. I could see this becoming sort of a, you know, like a Charlie Brown Christmas kind of thing, you know, where it becomes something that families put on year after year after year if you've got kids, you know, sitting in, in, in the house with... Um, you know, nothing really to do. It could be something that becomes a regular rotation um, over the years. It's going to appeal to a very set demographic that is going to be families with kids at a very certain age. Older kids are probably bored out of their mind because they're not going to be into the animation so much, and they're probably not going to like the musical parts of it too much. They might identify with the kids a little bit, but if they're older, they might not. So, um, you know, again, this is not something that's for everybody, but it is the most Lunar New Year film of the Lunar New Year films because it's all about Lunar New Year. Um, so, and it's perfect for families. So if that is, uh, you know, the demographic you're in, you might want to check this out when it comes your way. Kevin, did, 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 uh, did, was there any plans for the, for the Chen family to get out and see this with the little ones? No, I think because uh, the older one's already way past Peppa Pig. Mm. And I'm not sure if the younger one watches it at all because I think they watch car stuff. They're just really into car stuff. <laughs> right. So I, I have no idea if, if yeah. the kids still watch Peppa Pig. I know at one point they watch Peppa Pig. That's how I know Peppa Pig. Mm. Because there's the kids around me, you know, kids of people around me who watch Peppa Pig. Yeah, I know at least two of us in the movie group have kids who loves Peppa Pig. I didn't even know your daughter was into Peppa Pig. But oh, so yeah. I know like, yeah, the other ones are into Peppa Pig at one point of their lives. You know, it's like you have to get past liking, uh, I don't know what's a, what's an equal equivalent of Japanese. Um, it's like, you have to get past liking, uh, I, I don't know, like a really kitty Jap, like hello kitty or something or for, for yeah. girls. I don't know. Yeah. Like you have to get past that, that phase. Um, so 
Um, I don't think I know anyone that went to see the. I mean, you're the only one I know who went to see the Peppa Pig movie this year. Yeah. Kudos to you, Paul. I didn't realize we were that competitive. <laughs> you well, even went I'll... to see Wandering Earth, so I you 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 beat me like by a mile. Well, I'm hey, not now... going to Shenzhen to watch that movie. Wandering Earth is definitely you know. Uh... You talk big, big blockbuster sci-fi, and and you know I got to be there because that's that's my jam. So, but I like animation, and you know I w- was not averse to going and see this. It was interesting for me to see the dynamic of the live action juxtaposed with the traditional sort of you know Peppa animation. So, and I I don't know in terms of the voice casting who did the Canto dubs if it's the regular actors who do the Peppa cartoons over here. I'm guessing it is. Because it seemed to be very, you know, um, the, the the kids who were in the theater with me seemed to respond to to it very, very well, um, you know, in terms of the the Cantonese dialogue. So, uh, yeah, again, it's it's something that's not for everybody, but if you're in that, you know, check it out. I think your kids will enjoy it. The last film we want to talk about um, is uh, not a Lunar New Year. Well, it is a Lunar New Year film, but it's got nothing to do with Lunar New Year in terms of some of the thematic elements, and that is integrity. And I know Kevin, having worked on this film, is going to recuse himself from uh, mm-hmm. talking about this. Um, and I saw integrity, and uh, it came in, I, I want to say, last place for my ranking. Oh. Um, oh. And and th- there's a reason why. It's not a bad film. Um, it, it's a very high production. It's got you know great cast all the actors bringing their a game in terms of acting um but where i think it lost me was that it was trying to be too clever by half in terms of the narrative storytelling as it starts to unpack um some of the the plotting especially the backstory of of some of the main characters involved it just raised some really big questions um you know, so the main the main gist of the story is that you have these two characters played by Lao Ching Wan and Karina Lam who are investigating this case. It's this big uh, case of corruption, and they are both working on the case, but they are also in the midst of a divorce. So you know they've been married and are going through a divorce, and so they're having to work together and they're having to un- get through this case. And one of the key witnesses is is, is Nick Chung. Um, so you've already got a great cast to work with, and you've got people like Alex Fong here, um, Anita Yun in a small role, and you know you, you just you, like I said, they're all bringing their A game. It looks great. It's going for that Infernal Affairs style look and tone. That's a little bit annoying to me in some places because they're still doing that sort of handheld cam in the office spaces kind of thing that was popular with Infernal Affairs, and that kind of drives me a little bit nutty when they when they overuse that a little bit too much um but the overall color tone and everything it's 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 slick it bounces around so a lot of it's taking place in australia although the australian people don't speak like australian people i could not figure (laughs) out why um that just seemed weird to me uh but it may i haven't been in australia for a few years so maybe maybe things have changed down there i don't know um, but the thing that, that bugged me, like I said, was that the way they sort of unpack the backstory narrative, and it makes me say, all right, you have two characters who are married. How come, if these relationships are really like this, this one character knows nothing about this other character and who was at least, you know, such a vital part of this period in in, in her husband's life? It just... it. 
that that kind of made no sense to me, you know, as a person who's married, you know, who talks with my wife, you know, I guess you could say, well, you know, maybe they had communication issues. I don't know. It just, it seemed like a big, you know, again, it was trying to be clever and, and Project Gutenberg falls clearly in this camp too, because it, you know, they're trying to be clever with the narrative and the storytelling. And sometimes I think it just, you know, it's a bit deceptive in, 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 in trying to do that when, when you're, you're doing that. It also drops a few things like, you know, the Anita Yoon character. I, I, I was like, what happened with that? Cause it kind of just seemed to not go back to that. Um, and there's a big spoiler. If you watch the, the trailer for this, at least the trailer that I saw for it, there's a big spoiler moment right in, right there in the trailer. And so this, this, this moment's coming on the film. And I'm like, all right, I know what's going to happen because I just saw this, you know, th- th- that's right there in the trailer. Why why they would do that, I don't know. And even though that's a big spoiler moment, it's a moment where you kind of go, well, I kind of know what they're going to do with that spoiler, you know, with, with that big moment that just happened. Um, and so it was a little bit predictable. And then there's a thing that really just kind of happens at the end. I'm just like, really? <laughs> you're just going to you're just going to leave it like that? And I guess that's, again, a little bit of a nod to the North, maybe, uh, kind of, sort of. I don't know, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I again, I think it's a really well-produced film, great acting. Um, I'd be surprised if this doesn't get some you know, acting nods come this time next year. Um, I just think narratively it kind of just annoyed me a little bit. But I would definitely say... If you're a fan of the leads, if you're a fan of this kind of thing, uh, you still definitely want to see this. Um, but did they have to call it a full-on film? Because I mean, come on, I, I'm off. I just I just marathoned S Storm and L Storm. I, I'm kind of done with the full-on films. Can we can we can we name the ICAC film something else, please? Um, mm. Because you know, uh, I, I just I I kept expecting Louis Koo to walk on screen at any moment, and then. Unfortunately, he's only in the Home with a View movie for this Lunar New Year season. So, yes, why isn't he in like five <laughs> movies this year? <laughs> it's true. Where is he? This Lunar yeah. New Year, he's in, not in any of the films. Yeah. He's got other stuff coming, I guess. So, it's um, like he, he's, he let Lem should steal his thunder. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and it was thunder worth stealing. So, um, so yeah, definitely. You know, do check this out because I, I know I'm being hard on it. Um, and for Lunar New Year films, again, I'm more of a traditionalist in terms of what I like to see. Send me emails if you disagree, because I just felt that it was a little bit narratively deceptive, and I don't like when directors do that. Um, that's just a what's that email again? We're right there right now. <laughs> no, no. I, I I feel like Paul. I think I feel like in, in lieu of looking at integrity as is the highest grossing Chinese uh, New Year film, and Wandering Earth is this huge, of course, now by far is the highest grossing Chinese New Year film this year. I feel like I think next time we don't we're not gonna do it now because we're like overrun way 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 too much. Um, that we could talk about whether the traditional New Year film formula it's still relevant. Uh, do we still need to watch those kind of movies in New to New Year, or is it just another? T- or should we just put blockbusters there? But I think I think that's something we could talk about maybe next time, or um, maybe next year. Yeah, definitely. It's there, there. There's some merit to be had there. I mean, um, uh, to be sure, and not everything that comes out in the Lunar New Year period needs to be a you know sort of have the Lunar New Year greeting attached to it, and you know every, the the whole crew lining up at the end and and all that stuff that sort of traditionally goes with it. But um. 
you know, that would definitely be an interesting conversation to have. And and true in, in terms of the context of sort of Hollywood cinema, too, what comes, what gets released in the December period between, you know, Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas as well. Um, so I think that would be an interesting discussion to have. So, yeah, we've run a little bit long, but we had quite a few films to kind of get through. Um, the one that we did not touch on this time, which I want to come back and maybe talk on on the next episode, is, of course... Uh, the Wandering Earth, which I managed to get out and see uh, earlier today. Thankfully, they had. It's the only New Year film that's screening here in South Florida among all the films, um, including many of the others that are in mainland China. Like what is the? There's a racing one called Panther, I think, and uh, uh, cr- crazy. Not that one. Crazy. No, just crazy alien. Crazy alien, yeah. and um, you know, a, a bunch of other stuff that's been released um, on the mainland side as well, and. You know, here in South Florida, we got one. So, but I am thankful because it was the one I wanted to see, um, the, the, the sci-fi blockbuster. And I, I have some things to say about it. So maybe we'll talk about that next time. So uh, if you've seen any of the Lunar New Year films and you'd like to share your thoughts on any of them with us, please do drop us a line at any of the contact points. We'd be happy to hear from you. Um, so any final thoughts on Lunar New Year 2019, sir? Yeah, what what do you think overall this year, this crop? I, I feel like... Not particularly strong, but at least we didn't get something as dreadful as to Patrick Kong. And even the top grossing film isn't as bad as Agent Mr. Chan, which I, I truly, really did not care for. Mm. So um, I feel like I had a bit more fun this year, actually. Yeah. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabot of Snows Radio Orchestra. Research come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Uh, you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, please do follow along with Mr. Ma in all that he does as he moves and shakes across the movie earth, movieverse. Ugh, can't talk anymore. Uh, as he moves and shakes across the movieverse. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? Um, you can read my columns on uh, Cathay Pacific's Discovery Magazine and Cathay Dragon Silk Road Magazine. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. I also am trying to uh, be a little more active um, in updating Asian cinema, as you can see, um, which is my website. That is asiaincinema.com, one word, Asia in cinema. Um, if you're in Europe, uh, the Cinema Asia Film Festival is happening in March 5th until the 10th. I am the program advisor for that particular festival, and I'm very, very proud of the program that we put together. I personally um, recommended quite a few, at least half the films, actually. I recommend, I think about half the films are, were recommended by me. Um, so so I'm really, really proud of the lineup that we put together. Um, and if you're in Europe, come by Amsterdam. Uh, I will be there, by the way. I will be there for the, for the entire time of the festival. So if you are coming to Amsterdam or in Amsterdam, uh, drop me a line. Um, I'm there from the 4th until the 11th. Um, yeah, this sounds like a world tour or whatever, but, but yeah, I will be there in around that time. And if you're in 
uh, going to Udine Faris Film Festival. I'll be there as well, and I'll be there in London for a week after that. It feels, I swear, it's, I, I, it feels like I'm on a comedy tour or something. And yeah. seriously, if you guys want to meet up and and talk about Asian films, uh, get in touch with me. Um, I am at uh, you can email me at Kevin at Asia in Cinema dot com. Yeah, bring your t-shirts and t-shirts, and he'll sign them for you. So. We make t-shirts? <laughs> no, just bring a blank white t-shirt. Oh, and I was like, sign it. I was like, Paul, you, dude, you left me out of the t-shirt. No. Dude, I, we, we I, make maybe maybe one day. Maybe one day, but uh, not yet. Um, so, yeah, uh, please do follow Kevin and all that he does. And check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network as well. Um, our next show, uh, I know, now I know that because of all the stuff that's happened, I have a little bit of a backlog, actually a one episode backlog for the Hollywood on Hong Kong sub series that, uh, I had some technical trouble with. And then when all the personal stuff got in the way, I just, I haven't been back to the editing desk. So that should be coming, um, soon. And I do apologize for the delay. I was supposed to have that out, um, on uh, before before the uh, before the Western China, uh, New Year, and I just you know it, things happen, and I it just got put on the back burner. So I need to sit down and kind of hash that back together, get that done. That should be coming out. Um, but for our next episode proper, I would like to talk about um, the Wandering Earth if I can, and we'll see what Kevin would like to talk about. Do you guys have any stuff new this week or? Anything we like... have the Malaysian thing, but I don't think yeah. I'll get out to. I'm not sure if I'll get out to see it. But I could. I mean, did you see Battle Angel Alita? I mean, we could do a total uh, sci-fi oh, show. In yeah, definitely. Course. I definitely want to get out to see that. Although I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm not really looking forward to it. But I was a big fan of the the original manga. So, um, but yeah, we can talk about that and talk about the Wandering Earth and do a sort of sci-fi episode. And I, I would like to do a little bit of a brief discussion, kind of like we did at the tail end here too. On 2018 year in review, um, I'm I, I know Kevin's, uh, you know he sees more stuff than I do um, in terms of <laughs> you know his his cinema viewing, um, but I've been rapidly catching up on everything that I could in the past month or so, and for the 40 plus films that were considered Hong Kong releases, um, I think I'm at the 30 mark, so I'm down still about 15. And I have a couple more to watch that are currently available. There's still a bunch of stuff not available. Um, but uh, hopefully we can, you know, just do sort of a basic overview of some of our favorites, what we thought was really good for the year of 2018. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast, wishing you a happy year of the pig. And we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody.